Welcome to the Don't Die Podcast, sponsored by Aloe Treatment Centers. They're out in Malibu. They're in Silver Lake. It's a treatment center I started with some friends. We want you to get the right treatment, the right program for you, and stop dying. Yes, we do. And we love that guitar riff. Is that Dix Denny or you, Mike, playing that riff? I don't have any idea. I I can't tell you for the life of me. It sounds like me, but I don't know. It could be Dix. It's Dix, I think, and it it never was released, that song. No, there's some guitar soloing in there that's me on there i know but that's dicks doing the little riff because he and i wrote that song in virginia by the way when we both lived there and we're Hmm. being sober uh in 1993 that Uh, was pre-oxycontin oh yeah pre 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 pre-prescription drugs so so that song is called look at that house up there right about the mighty john fashante and that we all need to do something to save him right so that's why I wanted that to be this song. It's called Look at That House Up There. It's all about John is up in this house by himself just doing drugs and we need to go fucking do something. And eventually, and well, eventually we did go do something. John uh, texted me yesterday about uh, uh, Elvis did a music recital and played Ramon's Beat on the Brat with a baseball bat. <laughs> what? How, what kind of music school has Beat on the Brat? That's fantastic. What was he playing? Drums. Oh really? Yeah, and it was great. And so I sent it to to John because I know he loves Ramones, and he texts back, "Awesome." Um, but I wanted you to read the Eleventh Tradition because we've been uh, listen. My since I, since two thousand seven, when I started doing celebrity rehab, I've been attacked at in the twelve step community online. Uh, in supermarkets, <laughs> like about breaking That's pretty an- rad. about yeah. breaking anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films. And I wanted everyone to know why I do it. It's with intent. There's no doubt about it. In 2007, when we started, we were gonna, we were trying. You know, you, you got to talk about. We were gonna do something no one had ever done before. We were gonna put rehab on television, which was hard enough, as you know, with the HIPAA laws, right, Chuck? Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> well, so. <laughs> So let alone what the twelve-step community would think. So, but Drew wanted the real truth that AA is the only solution and all this kind of stuff and whatever. And so, we all sat around as a staff. We were all sober people, and I said, "Let's read the Eleventh Tradition together." So, so anyone who has a problem with violating this, we're going to protect you and we're going to figure it out. But let's just all read it out loud. And I. Will you read it, Chuck? Sure, because I know it by heart. This is about anonymity. This is the reason why you should be anonymous at the level of press, radio, and films. It's Tradition 11, like you said, and it says, in quotes here, that's the way I remember it. It says, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films. That's no, but that, the long form. One. Oh, you want no the so long the level. Form. Let's talk about the level at the level. It says at the level. It doesn't say below it, or it doesn't say above it. It just says I, I've got at. I've got there the must, whole thing underneath. No, but the long, the long okay, okay. the long okay. form version is the one that without this, its legions of well wishers, AA could have never have grown as it has. Throughout the world, immense and favorable publicity of every description has been the principal right. means of bringing alcoholics into our fellowship. Right. In AA offices, clubs, and homes, telephones rings. Con- telephones ring constantly. One voice says, From "Newspaper articles." I I read a piece of. I read a piece in the newspapers. Another, we heard a radio program, and still another, we saw a moving picture. <laughs> a moving picture. Yeah. Or we saw something about AA on television. 
Right. It is no exaggeration to say that half of AA's membership has half be, has been half led is, to is us from, through channels is like from these. Media. Half of the involvement in the twelve-step community. Half of its members were brought into it, educated by it, uh, w- became aware of it from media people. Okay, go. Okay, the inquiring voices are not all alcoholics or their families. Doctors read medical papers about Alcoholics Anonymous and call for more information. Clergymen see articles in their church journals and also make inquiries. Employers learn that great corporations have set their approval upon us and wish to discover what can be done about alcoholism in their own firms. Therefore, a great responsibility fell upon us to develop the best possible public relations policy for Alcoholics Anonymous. This may, though many painful, through many painful experiences, we think we have arrived at what the policy ought and to be. Here it is. Okay, here's the anonymity component. Everybody listen that criticizes me or, you know, wants ammunition to be more open about their sobriety in media. Go ahead. It is the opposite in many ways of usual promotional practice. We found that we had to rely upon the principle of attraction rather than promotion. Let's see how these two contrasting ideas, attraction and promotion, work out. A political party wishes to win an election, so it advertises the virtues of its leadership to draw votes. A worthy worthy charity wants to raise money. Forthwith, its letterhead shows the name of every distinguished person whose support can be obtained. Much of the political, economic, and religious life of the world is dependent upon publicized leadership. People who symbolize causes and ideas fill a deep human need. We of AA do not question that, but we do have to soberly face the fact that being in the public eye is hazardous, especially for us. To the individual, to me. There's, go on. Now it's going to say Bob is, has been very open about his sobriety at the level of press, radio, and film since 2007. Watch what it says is going to happen to me or could happen to me. This is all, the anonymity is all about the individual staying sober. Right. By temperament, nearly every one of us has been an irrepressible promoter, and the prospect of a society composed almost entirely of promoters was frightening. (laughs) (laughs) Considering this explosive factor, we knew we had to exercise self-restraint. The way this restraint paid off was startling. It resulted in more favorable publicity of Alcoholics Anonymous than could possibly have been obtained through all the arts and abilities of AA's best press agents. Obviously, AA had to be publicized somehow, so we resorted to the idea that it would be f- we would be far better off to let our friends do this for us. Precisely that has happened to an unbelievable extent. Veteran newsmen, trained doubters that, that they were, have all gone to carry AA's message. To them... Okay, stop right there. Wow. There is no such thing as, as news people anymore. They are mouthpieces for the Suboxone industry, <laughs> for the pharmaceutical industry... They are not reporters, as the 45 tends to say. They are just propagandizers against AA now. Let, let, right. let that be known. The media coverage is AA is religious, it's frivolous, it doesn't work. And oh, by the way, harm reduction is the greatest thing ever. That's what media reports nowadays. Right. Now, well, I don't understand. How come, like, how come the, the, you can't even utter 
like in some people's minds, you can't even utter the word Alcoholics Anonymous on the radio. Yeah, press. because they're idiots. It's all just a bunch of it, it's unresolved trauma as to why people get so upset about something they've never read. That's why I wanted to read it. Don't you have to say I am a member of Alcoholics Anonymous to violate the tradition? What most of this was written about was to control and contain Bill Wilson. There's that, still another page and a half. Yeah, so go on. Uh, to these veteran newsmen who are now not veteran newsmen, trained doubters that they are, <laughs> like that. To them, we are something more than the source of good stories. On almost every news front, the men and women of the press have attached themselves to When's us. The, as okay, friends. I want to stop you right there. When's the last time you read a good news article about how great AA is? I read a nice article about all the predators in AA. <laughs> so if you're looking for a predator, I guess AA is full of them. <laughs> so let me see in the beginning the press could not understand our refusal of all personal publicity they were genuinely baffled by our insistence upon an anonymity then they got the point here was something rare in the world a society which said it wished to publicize its principles and it works but not its individual members the press was delighted with this attitude. Ever since, these friends have reported AA with an enthusiasm which most ardent members would find hard to match. There was actually a time when the press of America thought the anonymity of AA was better for us than some of our own members did. At one point, about 100 of our society were breaking anonymity at the public level with perfectly good intent. These folks declared that the principle of anonymity was a horse and buggy stuff something appropriate to AA's pioneering days. I am one of those. <laughs> they were sure that AA could go faster and farther if, if it availed itself of modern publicity methods. AA, they pointed out, which is different than what you're talking about. This is talking about putting it on TV and running ads. Yeah, I'm talking um, about talking openly about saying it. what's going on in it. Like what the press was doing. To, and AA is not a few hundred people. It is a few million people. So the quaintness of what's described there does not exist anymore. If people don't understand that those pro, those predator the predator article you 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 rec, you know the New Yorker or whatever this is all because we live in a salacious you know kind of a fake media world and right. I don't mind agreeing with Trump but a lot of it is driven by the suboxone industry and by big pharma and by powers that be that don't want AA to solve the alcohol and drug problem. They want to make money off of selling pills to solve it. Hmm. I'm telling you, all the shit you read on the internet, it's all propaganda. I believe that. I believe that almost everything is out so there. So the media that's described in this does not exist anymore. Yeah. No, yeah, and they were talking about... Uh, it, if they used modern publicity methods, AA, they pointed out, included many persons of local, national, or international fame, provided they were willing, and many were, why shouldn't their membership be publicized thereby encouraging others to join? I don't see why that's a problem. These were plausible arguments. Yeah, it's saying that you, you can talk about AA, you praise it up and down, and just you can't say, uh, I am a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. I well, am a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. Okay, so... <laughs> What, is lightning going to strike me? Are they going to kick me out? 
No, they're okay. not going to get you. Okay, I mean, but it's a no. Tradition you it, but a it, lot it, of them get violated. This says the foundation wrote letters to practically every news outlet in North America, setting forth our public relations policy of attraction rather than promotion, and emphasizing personal anonymity as. That's gravy. when there was like a hundred and fifty news organizations in the United States, not right. ten million. Right. No, because it says in 1954 the name of the Alcoholic Foundation was changed. Yeah, to there was Service. ABC, CBS, NBC. The PBS didn't even exist then. There was the New York Times the LA Times, there was a major metropolitan newspapers, there was AP Wire Service, Time Magazine, Newsweek, Saturday Evening Post. This thing is, when you, when Mike talked a couple episodes or last episode about how old-fashioned AA is, this is archaic. Yeah, because this was before, you know, 54. Like, they it? could talk to 20 news organizations and say, hey, just don't <laughs> talk about us, we're anonymous. <laughs> like, what kind of fucking world do you think you live in? If you, well, you think know, that, that they, the media is not controlled, well, they tried by to get stories right too. So this is I don't understand this kind of journal, <laughs> journalism because they had they had editors and rewrite men have yeah. repeatedly deleted names and pictures of AA members from AA. Yeah, did they fact check? Frequently, they have reminded ambitious individuals of AA's anonymity. Policy. Now stop right there again. I want to show you something. I a friend of mine who's a very famous actor. His best friend had ten years sobriety, fourteen years sobriety. Came showed up drunk at his house. I went over there, we met, we went to a restaurant, we sobered him up. It was about 8 o'clock in the morning. I said, hey, there's a 10 a.m. meeting at Log Cabin. Let's go over there. We'll come, come on. And we took him. And a friend of mine was just going to support his friend, right, to go back to a meeting the very day after the morning after he got drunk for the first time, right? Mm-hmm. By the way, the guy has been sober since that day another 15, 20 years. 15 nice. years, right? So we go to the meeting. Guess what? The front door was open. Guess what? The most famous actor in the world's in there. Guess what? Somebody took a photograph. Guess what? It was in the National Enquirer that week. That's the world we live in. This is very serious because I get criticized a lot. We, we get attacked. We get emails that are critical or whatever. And the fact is, if you believe this bullshit we're reading, then fine. Then you don't know what fucking planet you live on. Continue. <laughs> I, I like that. They have even sacrificed good stories to this end. The force of their cooperation has certainly helped. The force of the news of the news agencies, the moral ethical, the moral ethical news agencies that are so unbiased and 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 always fact checking. Only a few AA members are left who deliberately break anonymity at at the public level. Yeah, Gail Storm was a famous actress, right? Do you know who Gail Storm is? Uh, no. Gail Storm is one of the people they're referring to. She started the um, an, uh, alcohol na- nationwide alcohol hospital detox uh, kind of company. What and does so that she, statement mean? That a few didn't. That that the he, what he's saying. What they're saying in this is the media was so great that all they had to do was say, "Hey, media, don't we believe <laughs> in anonymity, media?" You're so amazing and ethical and honorable, they wouldn't allow AA members to say they were in AA. What kind of fucking planet do you think you live on that that still applies to our society? Oh, no. Uh, You know, I've I've got a client right now that's been harassed on, on Main Street because of where he is and what he's doing. Well, the greatest story I ever heard, and... She's passed, so I can talk about it. Can you talk about people when they've passed? As if long it, as it's good if things. It's loving, <laughs> yeah, if it's loving and gracious and a kind story. Sure. So Why not? So in Huntington Beach, 
uh, Whitney Houston got sober, right? And with the help of a great, courageous team of people that helped her, right? And I think you're very, you know who mm -hmm. they are. Amazing yep. people that just stretch the boundaries of what you got to do to help an addict. And so eventually it transitioned over that she was going to meetings in Huntington Beach on her own, right? right? And people would say, Huntington Beach, like this last place you think Whitney Houston would be, right? Yeah, she doesn't look so, like a typical Huntington Beach girl. <laughs> so she's in the meeting and people would say, everybody ever tell you you look like Whitney Houston? She'd say, they tell me that all the time, honey. <laughs> <laughs> I miss her. She was awesome. Yeah. She was an awesome That person. was a bummer. That one was yeah. a big bummer. So, so anyway, so you get the point that I'm trying to make. So we read this, the whole team that's celebrity, we have, that actually is our hospital team, and we all just started looking at us like, what are, we just been brainwashed by this anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films because it's chanted at an AA meeting. Mm -hmm. It is pounded. Cults chant things right. to pound them into your head. But when you look at the facts, it's just like, what? This gets well, back to another thing. I was on GSR in 99 when we were going to write the new the suggestions for the new uh, edition of the book, right? I simply suggested at the Los Angeles chapter that we look at removing to the wives from the book. <laughs> you should have wow. seen this story. You should have seen the reaction. <laughs> They're like you were touching the Bible. Like you were saying, we're, let's take Genesis out of the Bible. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but to the wives is the most sexist, misogynist, kind of ridiculous, old-fashioned horse and buggy. Talk about horse and buggy perspective of things. And it was mostly women, because women are stronger, smarter, and better, that were in the GSR meeting. And they were, they were like, oh, no, Bob's insane. <laughs> we can't do that. Right. You know what I mean? So I just, I just like to point that out. So anyways, uh, you know, it goes on and, and yeah, I, there's, there's only a little paragraph yeah. left and it doesn't really, it doesn't touch on anything. And just so people know we're not hiding anything. It says this in brief is the process by which AA's tradition 11 was constructed to us. However, it represents far more than a sound public relations policy. It is more than a denial of self-seeking. This tradition is a constant and practical reminder that personal ambition has no place in AA. It, in, in it, in it, each member becomes an active guardian of our fellowship. But this is, this is one of the most misunderstood traditions ever. You hear people talking all the time. Someone will say their first and last name in a meeting, and they'll go, <gasps> oh, they yeah. said their last their name. Names. Well, that's wrong anyways, because it says at the level of press, radio, and film. There is a level. It says it sets a level. It says at the level of press, radio, yeah. so and you shouldn't, film. I don't know. At, so, yeah, a at, so tell me that a meeting is, is, is at the level of press, radio, and film. Oh, well, that's... It can just, be, that's with just, phones. Just, that's just nitpicking. No, it's not. That's just nitpicking. AA mm -hmm. is under attack. The pharmaceutical industry wants AA to go away. We are being pushed aside, and we are our own worst enemies because we're unwelcoming to new people who desperately need AA. My point is this. Then don't listen to me. Don't download this podcast. Take it off of your download list. Don't listen to it. But don't sit here and send me mean emails to Ria Bob that I'm fucking ruining AA. I don't care what you think. <laughs> Do you actually care? Yes, at Rehab Bob is, is where people email me. And it, a, lo a lot of it is nice, but once in a while, it's just vitriol. 
towards me. And something that I said about AA, like I'm ruining AA and I'm killing people or I'm, I'm making AA less appealing. No, I'm talking very specifically about my experience in in July of 2018, having been a member of Alcoholics Anonymous for 32 years, having been struggling in and out of it for nine years and being sober for almost 23 years. I'm talking about a real, organic, growing, evolving, mutating social movement, self-help movement that I think is vitally needed right now. And mm -hmm. it's dropping the ball and it's not it's not, people aren't evangelical about helping these kids. So going, going right, you know, that comes right back to what we, what we talked about earlier and how, how, how important it is, but where the, um, I wish someone who is so easy to throw out a hateful line of what you're doing. I'd like to hear what they think they would do. I would love to have people not just no, engage with they, hate speech. I, I would comment, but Bob told me not no, to listen. Stop. So. stop. But the, the, in the emails, they're very specific. Two of them were very specific about AA works just fine for people who want it or, oh, or wow. people who work it or do it, right? Well, I'm, I, it's, it, no, these kids desperately want what we have. And I believe they are willing to go to any lengths to get it, but we're not allowing them to because we're not welcoming them. That's yeah, my no, that's main true. problem. That's so true, man. I don't. I don't know. Um, I don't. This is the other thing. This is more about meeting them where they are. That idea of going to any lengths. A lot of them haven't gone to any lengths to get dope yet. But they'll hang out. Here's here's the other thing. Meeting that's them reciprocal. where they are. Here's here's the thing that's reciprocal. They attach to me and they like me, and it and it's time consuming and in, involving to be constantly talking with twenty kids throughout the day, trying to inspire them, keep them going in the right direction, giving them feedback, meeting them. It's fucking exhausting. And the bleeding deacons that criticize me, I know we're not doing that. Right. They just sit and they say they're grateful and they do their thing. But I don't. I didn't want this to be all about AA. I wanted it to be about the bigger subject of why. Our society is so quick to criticize, right? Quick to quick to attack without any substance or any substantive argument about attacking. Just I don't like it, right? right? And so something happened today that I really didn't like. It made me sick to my stomach. I I got angry. I rarely get this em emotional about something, and it was the most petty thing ever. And that is DeMarcus Cousins, the greatest center in the NBA, you don't know anything about sports, is signing a one-year deal with the Golden State Warriors, which makes basically the NBA season next year pointless. They have five starting all-stars. The, the game is being perverted by people who want to win no matter what. They have no, and it, and it just made me just, so angry and frustrated and and it, because I love basketball and LeBron had come to LA I thought they're not going to beat Golden State but they got a chance and let's see and maybe Houston can beat them and and maybe Boston can beat them and then this afternoon they got the greatest they they already have two of the five greatest players in the world now they have three of the six greatest players 
It's unfair. But and and they're doing it. The players are doing it because they're millennials. They're assholes. They want they <laughs> well, want they want a trophy. It's a meaningless trophy. If you if you scheme and 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 collude and get it so all the best players are on one team so you can all win a ring and win a championship, it's not winning a championship. I, this thing is all about winning instead of about what winning means to build something together with other people and fail and try again and succeed. This is just a shortcut to getting a ring and being known as a champion. Well, isn't that why they had salary caps in the first place? I remember a he long took, time ago there was the Yankees. Worth, were, watch this. He's worth $30 million. He's taking $5.1 million so he can win a championship. Mm. It's fucking crazy, this world. There is no... It's not the world that that will lead to prosperity anymore. I think this country is game, set, match. I think it's over. Because whatever you think of Trump, wait till you see what comes after Trump. <laughs> wait. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're going to hunt people down in restaurants and heckle them when you disagree with them. And that's totally okay. You're going to destroy people's lives with an accusation. And that's totally okay. That's the world that's happening right now and nobody's standing up to it. Do you imagine what it's going to be like in five years and then five years after that? Well, now everybody's going to be loaded. So they're going to be, <laughs> so it's going to be more like idiocracy where people are just dumb, you know, because opiates will be the opiates of the masses and there'll be no way, it's the way the oh, government's going to control everybody, point, just keep everybody Here, high and stupid. Here's what I think 10 years from now will happen with this Golden State monopolizing all the best players and playing for nothing just so you can win and you're guaranteed to win a ring. I can, I can just make you know, $50,000 and buy an NBA championship ring from like a lesser member of the, of the Lakers in the eighties. I can just buy it. Then in this world, 10 years from now, I can just walk around and say, I'm an NBA champion. I'm an NBA <laughs> champion. I have the ring. I'm an NBA champion because that's all that matters anymore is superficial, superfluous nonsense. And things like raising children right or caring about your community. Is the bear there? No, there's a light. There's a flashlight out there. Oh, don't scare me because I know the bears are coming out. No, I just saw a light hit the wall. A light hit the wall? Yeah. Holy shit. Is the bear out? There's a motion detector light out there. Are you out? Uh, Mike, are you there? What do you want you Mike outside? to do? <laughs> huh? Oh, Mike's outside. Maybe that was he's smoking outside. a cigar because I heard his feelings about. To, oh. I didn't understand the at the meet at the level of press radio <laughs> films. I still don't. I think he was because we were because uh, uh, I'd made a comment about um, about how people just don't understand the things, so they they take it to every, you know, they they talk about it in ways that don't make sense. But but here's the thing that that is the most beautiful thing about what Bill and Bob and those hundred people created. There's nothing they can do about it. I can talk about it. There's nothing they can do. They can't kick me out. They can't do anything. There's Even back there, charge. there were people that There's continued to continue in charge. There's no one in charge. It's just fine. And listen, I, I am convinced my innermost self that being open and talking about it might be destructive, but it's not as destructive, not nearly as when you say, if you don't like what's going on, um, you, you can go use. 
right? What do you? What's going did you, on? Did you see it that time? You didn't. No. See it. Is it Mike? Must be out there, or the bear? There's a motion detector light out there. So, anyways, I live in bear country. There's like three <laughs> bears that come by our house every night. They come on our front porch. They look in our windows. They lick lick out of the hummingbird feeders. They can stand up ten, eight feet tall and look uh, out of the no. hummingbird feeders. It's pretty scary. Well, it, it, no, it seems like a bright enough light. There's probably a light on a phone, and that's probably what he's doing. He's just Mike looking Mark. around. He's just—he's going to get attacked by a bear. What's that? Where, were you outside with the flashlight? Uh, uh, Chrissy pulled up, and so I was. Oh, I okay. was making sure that there was nothing around because she had the baby. Oh, the bear, yeah. <laughs> Good. Making, sure so, that, making sure the bear wasn't there. Yes. Mike, I'm sorry. Making... I'm sorry about that at level. I was just really trying to make a point that I, I really, I think that people think we're living in it'd be like this it'd be like if you know there's a lot of the hasidics that walk around fairfax you know and they right. wear the night 1840s garb they look great right i think they look great <laughs> but <laughs> i mean they're just deciding on a certain era and refusing to say that we evolved ever past that right well right that's god's outfit well, well there's something about this 1935 and aa where they're just choosing to say we've never evolved beyond that and when you read the 11th tradition, it's never so plain to me that like that is not the world we live in. When I read To the Wise, that's not the world we live in. Starting frighteningly, starting when you read Working with Others, that's not the world we live in. Right. Right? No. I can't have somebody stay here, though this is a good couch. Wouldn't this be a good couch to kick on? This would be a great one. And, okay. and then I can take that and so, that to the pawn so shop tomorrow. So just in a modern 21st century 2018, just so you know what would that would entail, working with others. I let the guy, I meet a guy named Amy, and he says, I'm, you know, I'm an alcoholic, I need a place to stay, I want to get sober. I say, okay, come with me. I got a little beer in the fridge. You can stay in the guest house, sleep on the couch, um, and, you know, I'm going to help you integrate into the program, Right. I did this as late as 2004. I was still doing this, letting people live in my house, literally like the book says. In 2018, if he's, living, if he's living here and he stands up to go pee in the middle of the night and falls and breaks his hip, like over this table right here, I lose this house. That's the world we live in. Hmm. Right? You don't, do you understand right, what yeah. I'm saying? Right. No, I do. And I there'll agree. be no special situation where, hey, I'm in AA and I was trying to help this guy. Nope, he broke his hip. You didn't have proper emergency lighting. Why were you detoxing somebody in your spare bedroom? You, the state would come after me, practicing medicine without a license. Everything that's suggested in working with others is illegal or dumb to lay your family out as that much of a liability. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I, I hear in, you. In the 12 and 12 where it says, go and make amends, you, you're supposed to go and tell your boss he you stole money from the company. Oh, that no. puts his job in jeopardy, right? Mm -hmm. I had a friend who we used to steal from Nordstrom's. She went back to Nordstrom's to tell them, you know, I have this money I stole, I'm, I'm guesstimating, and with interest that I owe about $1,500, I want to give it to you. They said, what are you talking about? They brought her to customer service. She said, I'm in Alcoholics Anonymous and I stole from this store in 1992 and I want to make, I want to make it right. This is part of a men's in AA. They arrested her. <laughs> swear to God. Well, except so, when to, except so, when to do so. Except so, when to do she so. Kept, she kept admitting that she stole. Well, without, without proof, I'd take that back because, 
It says except when to do so would injure yourself or others. You know, no, you them or others. Them or others. So you don't you're want, you're part of the I'm, others. I'm part of others. <laughs> fuck, fuck yes, I'm another. <laughs> okay, and the other thing I wanted to segue now into what I'm seeing in young people. There's there's a new brigade of young people that I I don't know what it is, and I've only seen it the last six months. They're a little smarter than the last two years of young people. I don't know. It's very subtle. And they catch on and they come desperately to me. They go, most of these people have been in like eight or ten places. I don't want to be in eight or ten places. What do I have to do that they, they're very aware, like, these people are making a life of this. Mm-hmm. How do I not make a life of this? I literally have had 20 or 30 kids come and ask me in the last six, eight months. What do I need to do to not end up like these people? Have you had that experience? No, but I do see people looking around the room like, dude, you've been doing this for two years. You know, uh, but they, they, they're not coming to me yet because they know where I'm going to go with it. I, I have the patented, you know, I can't tell you to do AA, but that's what I do. That's what he does. He works with us. That's what he does. He works with us. That's what he did. He works with us. You know, so a lot of times... I, I see them going, so you fuck. Don't, you don't see them? Yeah, you see them going, fuck, these people have been doing, they've been in eight different rehab centers. Or more. It, it actually comes down to years, because I'll go, I'll ask somebody who I know has been a you know repeat offender, and I go, hey, uh, how long you been doing this now? Well, a couple years. <laughs> what? And the person that's in their first time <laughs> yeah, is like, like what no the way. fuck? You won't catch me doing that, you know? And it's just like, you know, you it's not it's not out of I don't remember these conversations five years ago. And these things weren't happening five years ago. This is why? Why were they not happening? Because people hadn't caught on that they can ride the insurance bandwagon for as long as they have, and it's gotten harder. It's gotten harder. I've had people come back that need treatment that have been, you know, not allowed detox and not allowed RTC because they've had too many treatments. Well, a lot of those kind of, kids that have been going in and out are gonna age out at twenty six, right? And that's a good thing. Yeah. I think they should lower the I go back and forth. Like, should they lower it back to, you know, reasonable 21? You're an adult at 21, right? We've gone into this before. Yeah, at 18, really. I mean, if you can go in the Army, you're an adult, right? If you can go to big boy jail, you're an adult. Um, But don't you think, because I've told many parents this, like, listen, by keeping him on your insurance, instead of having him go on Medicaid, which is what he should be on because he's never had a fucking job, um... He'll get the care that he, because now Medicaid is really paying. Like they're paying 190 a day or whatever, but they're paying. You can get somebody with Medicaid into CryHelp. I just did last week, this kid okay. on Medi- Medi-Cal. We call it Medi-Cal, but it's Medicaid really, right? Okay. Called Medi-Cal. It's basically, you know, homeless people's insurance. Right. right? Or low income or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, that's right? what everybody asks. Can you, can you take them with this? Yeah. Me- what do what do most people call it? I Medi-Cal. call it Medicaid, Me- but Medi-Cal. people refer to it as Medi-Cal. You can get detox at Cry Help on Medi-Cal now. Really? So so then the problem is over of why you should keep your kid on your insurance. Fuck that. Let him get Medi-Cal and let him go to a treatment that is more appropriate for where he is in life than a fancy Malibu beach house. Right. You know that's one of those things where it did happen. I mean, I remember when when I was nineteen and I was at uh, ASAP. That place, the guys that were working there were like, "Oh man, you guys got it so good." You oh, got I, you went to ASAP in the Valley. I went there. No, there was one in the Valley. We had one in Buena Park too. Oh, I went to the one in the Valley. 
See, that was that was Will Bennett's place. That's where I worked for for a year. In, oh my god, in '86. That's where they used to have, they used to have the NBA contract. NBA. That's uh, why I would go there. And musicians. I went there two and times. police. And police. Yeah, I think I remember. We did. We had we had police. We had. That's right. I met some some heroes, some musical heroes, and I. Uh, you you don't have any basketball heroes. Um. Yeah, I miss the '80s. I think that was the fun. No, time I was to watch. in with some some '70s uh, NBA players because they're on pension and they're <laughs> cocaine and alcohol and it's not working for a while. They're like 45, 50 years old. No, see the the guys well, I like. The cocaine was good. The guys I liked yeah. were still playing at that time in '86. When I, yeah, so, but that that place, you know, it, that was a thirty day program, and I was able to stay sober for a while. And I worked there, and we I got an apartment with someone I worked with. You know, we stepped out, we did it different, but the um, they were going, oh man, you guys got it so good here. It's a cushy insurance place, you know, and all this stuff, and and I did. I went slowly down the rung till I ended up in indigent, low bottom, you know, recovery homes that you. But but see let, let's 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 not play into the millennials need uh, their their pillow you know plumped up at night. Cry help is the greatest treatment in Los Angeles in my opinion. They have they have dual diagnosis. They're very psych savvy. They, they there's no bullshit. There's they have the best benzodiazepine detox that I know of in Southern California. They really know how to do it, right? We, because it's so different than the for-profit treatment, you know what I mean? It's like, no way would these kids be able to survive. And I've, I've said that hundreds of times. The fact <laughs> is, if they had no alternative, They'd they have might to go. have to go and have to survive. Because I was an entitled princess, rock and roll fucking entitled baby. And I survived five and a half months there. Yeah, but in that sense, though, that's not going to work for them, is I think w w something pertinent, right? Why, I mean, why wouldn't that, it? That, that uh, it, I just, it seems like they would just walk out. I think people rise to the level at which they're challenged most of the time. And if, if it was, this is the thing, though, Mike, when they're coming back to uh, treatment, they're coming back to treatment because they, can't, they finally can't go back home. So they go to treatment. If their only option was to be at cry help or be homeless, most of these guys would not want to be homeless because they don't have... Well, I segue into this. So Yeah, but isn't a Malibu treatment low for, for somebody who's very entitled? Isn't that no, true, though? No, Malibu, Malibu works best for people that, that, um, that are professionals, right? So the people that have the most success are either highly motivated millennials that are ambitious or Good. doctors, That's lawyers... Um, nurses, um, kind of high-functioning people. I hate to say it, right? It doesn't work for the a lot of what we're talking about. The so down, we, down and out street junkie that just has the, one the, mindset. That's mom has good insurance. So what we've done is we've carved out different tracks, and now we've just we're expanding by by fall in Long Beach to a real forty-bed typical facility that's going to manage that kind of population, right? But the next phase of aloe treatment centers since me, you know, I'm I'm the I'm the one that they had to Evan had to convince me that I wanted to get in the medical game, right? That's his passion. He wants to have he wants to have like an 80 bed medical place too. That's right. And I'm like, fuck that. Have you met oh. those people? <laughs> yeah. 
That's, yeah, pe- that's people like me, Mike, and Chuck. I don't want to deal with those yeah, people. That's real shit, though. <laughs> they got no clothes. That's real shit, though. So we're going to have the, the, the millennials right now are kind of in Silver Lake, most, most of it most of the population right or go back to our seattle location because a lot of them come from seattle so we got seattle silver lake we're getting this 40 bed place in long beach and then i don't know where there's going to be this medical place it's going to you know it's probably going to be in victorville right gonna have to be somewhere where the where the, the square footage is cheap where can you have 80 drug addicts west virginia well, that's the final frontier. But Indio, 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 Indio. No, Coachella oh, is blown. Cool. Coachella is blown up. Indio, you can't yeah. get a place out there. Right? That's almost hip. Blythe, Blythe. <laughs> you know, they're building a two hundred and fifty room fancy Vegas hotel in Indio. Goodness, right for the, next for the Coachella to the Coachella. People? Yeah, right next. No, but it's going to run re- year round. Well, if you yeah. spray enough water on it, I guess they'll come. No, that that's that's that'd be. A, I want to go down there and see what it's like, but but no, I think that that <laughs> the, the low functioning kids, the kids that never had a job, and I, it's not like I'm saying they're bad kids. I'm just saying I was like that when I when I when I dumbed myself down with drugs and ten years of drugs and every word out of my mouth is fuck and I don't care about nothing and I think I'm a gangster and whatever. Cry Help was the greatest thing that ever happened to me. A, because I was really in with real gangsters and I they changed your mind pretty quick. <laughs> well, they don't go for you fake gangsters, right? Real gangsters don't like the fake wannabe Eminem gangsters. Oh, no, I uh, think they, they love them. They steal your shoes. <laughs> yeah, they steal your shoes. How do you know about that, Mike? Because I know about that. You know I know about that. I was in, in a homeless I was in a homeless shelter. I'll tell a funny story. New York City, 1983, I went from manager of the Red Hot Chili Peppers to road manager. I kept getting demoted over a seven-month period of time. <laughs> I was the manager. Then they got a real manager. Then I was the road manager. Then they got a real road manager. Then I was the roadie. Then they got a real roadie, and I was on the streets of New York, Aww. right? And and so they gave me like a hundred bucks, which in 1983 was a lot of money. Left my suitcases. I remember right in front of the Iroquois Hotel in Midtown Manhattan, and I was like a hundred bucks. Fuck yeah! And I went and got coke and heroin and yeah, bags were only ten bucks. Yeah, man. no, they were cheaper than that then. They were like seven. This is 1983, Mike. Jesus. So. Got high. You know who was in New York? Scott Morrow. Nice. Right. So I got a running buddy who has a car who knows a girl where we can stay. How fucking perfect is that, Chuck? Perfect. Perfect. Well, but Scott was coming back to L.A. He had a return air flight, right? So Hmm. we partied for four days, of which one time we went to a bowling alley the Grandmaster Flash was DJing at. How fucking great is that? That was worth it. Make this shit up. So then Scott's going back, and I'm thinking, like, I wonder if the girl would mind if I stay here a few more days. (laughs) No, that was very clear. I wasn't staying after Scott went home. Okay. So then I was wandering around New York. I stayed at this other friend of mine's house a couple of nights. I didn't know Ann Dagnella by this time. So I stayed at Kelly, this girl Kelly's house. She let me stay there like one night, but then I had to leave in the morning when she went to work, and then I'd call and wander around. So about a week after that era, I'm just wandering around. I have no money. I keep getting my family to wire me $40 at Western Union. I wait the whole time. I can't get a room. 
I just want, I just walking around New York for a week thinking I'm Jack Kerouac, right? Okay. Drinking on the street and stuff Except like that. He never nah, called, he just brought back a He memory, never, man. he never yeah. called his family for money. Did there he was not? No, there <laughs> Did was he no, not? Okay, millennials, <laughs> there was no PayPal. There okay. was no PayPal. It was you had to Western get money Union. wired to you. And you they never still did that. something called Western Union. <laughs> and they, and you they, never knew if it was coming through or the person really did it. So get this. I'm, it's 2 o'clock in the morning. I had been over at this other acquaintance of mine's house, and but it, I couldn't stay there. And I'm walking around Times Square, and I come around this corner, and there's this black guy, and he, go, he has a knife, and he goes, empty your pockets. And I just started laughing. I was like, dude, I don't have anything. And he goes, where's your wallet? I go, I don't have a wallet. And I started mm. laughing and he goes, you're a crazy white boy. And I go, dude, I have nothing. Like, this is the ultimate. Like, you're going to kill me because I have nothing. You know, and I was a little drunk and laughing. You know, like I can be <laughs> sometimes. And he started laughing. He goes, dude, what the fuck? And I go, dude, I've been wandering around for days. And so he took me to a hot dog. <laughs> he took me to a hot dog place and bought me a hot dog. <laughs> How great is that? <laughs> so then, and he's, you know, and I rolled around with him and he goes, you know, I'll, I'll show you, I'll show you, I, we can hustle tomorrow, but we got to find a place to stay. So we went uptown on the train, showed me how to sneak onto the trains, jump over, get right to the end of the thing, platform. So if they come, if the, you know, the platform people, you jump the fare, you run out the back. I learned everything okay. from this guy. Simple. Let me tell you a little thing about Bob. Bob was one that always found the lowest of companions. <laughs> but so, this I mean, guy was the This guy wasn't that low. This he was nice. Was, this guy was higher than oh, me. Yeah, but he you was know the what greatest. I'm talking about man, like up in Morro Bay no. when we went up to Morro Bay. I found, found those guys. Indian yeah, guy. yeah, yeah, yeah. Street Indian. I guy. find people that I have camaraderie with. So, but how smart is this? Because most people, if you're going to jump the train, you jump over the thing, right? Right. And then you stand right there. No, you jump over, walk to the far end of the platform, the farthest beginning of the when their train's going to be. So if they come walking down the platform for you, you just go out the exit and leave. Smart. He taught me all this kind of shit. So we're up in the Bronx in a homeless shelter and we get the mat and we get the, the little, uh, little thing that you sleep on, this little cot thing. And I put my shoes up on, underneath my cot. He comes over to me, he goes, he picks up my shoes, he goes, put them on your pillow, man. Put your, put your shoes under your pillow. Like this guy was so fucking kind. Like, and that's when Mike said, they'll steal your shoes. Like that's what would happen. They would steal your shoes in this homeless shelter. So the next day he takes me to the Bronx to this pill mill clinic, right? You go see this doctor, you, see, you show him your driver's license, you say that you're you know, having problems with back or whatever, they do this, they make you sign up for a general relief and all this shit, it takes about an hour. The doctor sees you, they prescribe something, then you go right next door inside the same building, it's all in cahoots, and you get prescription for Vicodin, and then right outside you sell them. It was the greatest thing nice. ever. And so I made like 20 bucks. And, and he and I hung out for like three days. It was the greatest time. I learned so much. He but I remember that. He stole your shoes. No, but I remember that. Put your shoes up under your, put the shoes up under your pillow. And my shoes stank oh, yeah. really bad. You don't want them under your pillow. Yeah. So I kind of cuddled, cuddled them. I didn't have them up near my nose. Do you understand? See, yeah. Aim yeah. downward. Aim the shoes downward away from the, your nose. 
and kind of cuddle them and sleep with them under the blanket. Yuck. That's yeah, where I was at. Yeah. That's where I was at. That's where I started. And it was all downhill from there. Right? Nice. But, and see, that those types of things, like, that was adventurous. That was fun. I didn't run to rehab because I didn't have a place to live. Right. Well, you know that, that's, I mean? a, that's a big difference. It's a huge difference. It's like, how do you meet that dude that t- t- was so cool to me? And it's, it, that experience with that guy in New York showed me that we're all the same. Like, it was just the right moment where I was drunk, and it just seemed so crazy that he was trying to rob me when I hadn't even eaten all day. <laughs> it was just like, it was, it was ridiculous. Like, dude, I know that you like, look like I have money, but I don't. <laughs> he goes, where's your wallet? I go, I don't have a wallet. That's the best. That's the best. Right. And so, you know, I've always just felt like there's that he was a drug addict, too. We we're, you know, we were smoking crack. He there's I bet you he's sober somewhere. If he remembers this story, he'll remember this. You don't. How do you forget you tried to rob a guy in Times Square and he just started laughing and then you bought him a hot dog? I mean, you can't forget that story, can he? Then you hung out for a couple of days. Times Square was so great. Back it was then. so great. It was just so dirty and you know the peanut shell games and the yeah. You just go into a movie theater and you could sleep for like two hours. One of the porn theaters on on Times Square. There was a place called the National Motel. I had been there in '81 because I was going to make it as a stand-up comedian. I was going to go oh. to Dangerfields and do the open mic night and set the world on fire. It never happened. But Aww. I did live for a month in the National Hotel on Times Square where just it's like the movie The Deuce was going on right outside every day. And I, <laughs> I remember I, the Gun Club was my favorite band, right? And I kind of with intention, they were going to play a bit, uh, the New York City for the first time at the Peppermint Lounge when Fire of Love came out. And so, you know, and I was looking to go to New York anyways, and I kind of wandered around the U.S., and then I got there, and I went to their sound check at the Peppermint Lounge. This is before phones where you could find out when somebody's playing. It was like, I heard from Jeffrey, we're playing the Peppermint Lounge in New York City, and he was all excited on something, something day, 1981. I bet you right now we can Google it. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. But you didn't know then. So I get to New York, I look in the the village, uh, whatever it was. Village Voice. Village Voice. And yep, I was right, and he's out that day. And so I go to the sound check, right? And I park my little Audi car out in front. And I remember I walked in, and you you were always surprised as a kid. You can just walk right into sound check when your favorite band is sound checking. And I was standing there, and you know, and then they were getting ready to go back to their hotel. And I remember I said to Rob Graves, who eventually ended up in our band, like, do you need a ride? Because I have a car. And he goes, you're from L.A., aren't you? And I said, yeah, yeah. And he goes, what are you doing here? And I said, I came to see you guys play. And he was like, holy fuck. What, what kind of crazy person is this? You knew exactly what you were doing. You were hoping that they showed up with some money and that you could take them to go cop. No, it was I wasn't that sophisticated then. I hadn't even done really? heroin. Yeah, no, I was oh just God, a I huge fan. I was just a huge fan of them, and I was wanting to move to New York to become a comedian. And so, oh my God! And living on Times Square for a month—it's just—it was the greatest thing ever. Like it was like being in a fr- in a in a Martin Scorsese movie. Well, talk every about day. this comedian uh, aspiration that you had. Well, I wanted because I loved Lenny Bruce and I loved George Carlin and Richard Pryor, and I always thought like. 
you know, you could, could change the world by being a dirty I, comedian. I, I could be a comedian, right? And then I saw so many bad comedians on Johnny Carson. I was like, I'm funnier than that. Well, <laughs> comedy, getting up on stage to room up people, especially when you do open mic, it's all just the other comics. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. I did it. I did it a couple of times. I did it at the Catch a Rising Star and just like I walked off before my three minutes were over. <laughs> it was fucking awful. It was awful. But, but it was, you know, it was like that's what I think these kids need to do. I just said, I'm going to move to New York and I saved $400, $400. And I had a car. It wasn't even mine. It was this guy, Roman, who I went to college with who was going to Europe for the summer. And I was like, oh. And he said, you can use my car while I'm gone. I just took it to New York. All right. <laughs> it made it all the way there. I slept in front of Loretta Lynn's house, I remember. I got there like at you know 10 o'clock at night, and I slept in my car in front of Loretta Lynn's house. And her husband, that famous guy, came out at like 6, 7 in the morning and knocked on the window and said, are you okay in there? Because I guess this is before freaky stalking fandom. Like there's, right. They must have been in their house looking like, there's people sleeping out in front of the house. Right, and it, I didn't get to see her, but I got to meet him. What's his name, Mike, the famous uh, husband? Know. You know, the husband of Loretta Lynn, coal miner's daughter. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm drawing a blank. He was the coolest guy, and he, he, you know, he, and it wasn't George Jones. He asked me if I needed phone, uh, food, or anything, and I was like, oh no, I'm okay. And he was just so nice. So that was a different era. You know what I mean? But I'm not saying that kids shouldn't go on adventures. Go to Burning Man. Go do something. Don't be just going to rehab over and over again and waiting around to die like Towns Van Zandt said. Because a lot of times I think so many kids I've had in treatment that have died, that Towns Van Zandt thing, that song goes around in my head. Just waiting around to die. They're just in rehab waiting around to die, Chuck. Yeah, yeah they, they are. are. Wait, this says <laughs> Doolittle Lynn? Yeah, Doolittle. Dewey. His name was Dewey. Dewey. His real name is Oliver, but they called him Doolittle Lynn, was an American talent manager and country music figure. Yeah, but his nickname that she called him was Dewey. I, I bet. Right? Like Huey, Dewey, and Louie. Okay. Right? But let's check when, when Gun Club played the Peppermint Lounge in 1981. Let's Google okay, that. Well, like, Can you Google that? Because I don't have the Wi-Fi. They, say they, they said they yeah. call him Doolittle Dew or Mooney. Mooney, maybe that was his name. <laughs> Gun Club, nineteen eighty-one. Yeah, Gun Club, Peppermint Lounge. Yeah, let's see what it says. Peppermint Lounge, nineteen eighty-one. I told you what day of the month. Nine sixteen. September sixteenth. I'm fucking. I was there, brother. <laughs> there it is. How crazy is the modern <laughs> technology? Yeah. You can say, you can have a story of a life experience and then you can just Google it and quantify it. September of that, what is it? Gun Club marries punk rock to the blues, baby. And I think we should go out with one of Jeffrey's greatest songs. What song you want to go out with, Mike? Uh, Brother, sister. Brother, sister, that's a depressing song. Oh, it's a great. What song. about Sex Beat? <laughs> <laughs>
That's the one that pops up first when you do Spotify on Gun Really? Sex Beat? They've got a lot of Gun Club on Spotify. How about She's Like Heroin to Me? That's a good one, too. those are overplayed. She's Like Heroin. Mike, you live in you live amongst the 300 people that it's overplayed in. You know how many people haven't heard it? I guarantee no one that listens to this has never even known what the Gun Club is. Go look it up. They're all over Spotify. All sorts of live recordings. and She's Like Heroin to Me. She cannot miss a vein or or uh, for the love of ivy any yeah, of those any songs any of those i'll think of one stick it in right here and we're gonna say good night until good you. night and don't forget you can email us at whatever mike what's the podcast there's an email address uh, right bob at rehabbob.com yeah. so if you have some hate mail if you want to threat, you know, tell me how I'm ruining AA by criticizing it or saying I'm in it, you'll want to email me at rehabbob.com. <laughs> <laughs> we, oh, and we're not members of AA. I'm not. I'm not personally no, a member. I'm not personally a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. My membership at all. expired, but I, I was thinking about my, renewing it. Do you have yes, to pay exactly. dues and everything? Yeah, no. you what pay, do you have you, to do you, to become you, a member? You pay a hundred dollars a month to your sponsor. I yeah. pay. I pay. Uh, you know what? I got to charge it overdraft in my account the other day, and I was really pissed about it. It was you at have the to, MAA. No, it was one hundred thirty dollars for AmazonPlus.com, and oh, I was yes. like, "What the fuck is that?" I don't even know what it is, Chuck. Apparently, it's so you get free shipping on Amazon. I don't do no, Amazon. There's a whole bunch Prime. of stuff. There's a Amazon whole Prime. Amazon Prime. You're missing it, Bob. It's I'll show you how to use it. It's $130 a year. It's, it's actually very amazing, dude. I'll show you all I about have it. Amazon Music. Yeah, and Amazon Prime has a whole bunch of stuff. Man. Oh, I can do it, it right here. I don't even need Mike Mart to patch it in. Let's do Gun Club <laughs> right here on my Amazon Plus that I paid to bounce my, my uh, oh my goodness, look at what this is. All right. First song. And that's what we'll leave with. Yeah. <laughs> Yay. Good night, everybody. Amazon Plus. Take it easy. Bye-bye. Hey, this is Bob, and you can get a hold of Aloe Treatment Centers at 888-595-0235. That's Aloe Treatment Centers in Malibu and Silver Lake, 888-595-0235. Tell them Bob told you to call.